Hello and welcome to Red Shirts. My name is Jake Donaldson, a comedian who has just been diagnosed with gallstones at age 27. So that's fun. I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Maddie Chateau Picard Church House and Nathan shat himself on a school trip, Thomas. (laughs) Without further ado, let's engage. Impressed. <laughs> I mean, I haven't. Um, just yeah, FYI. Sounds, sounds like the kind of thing that someone shuttons off on a school trip would say, the doesn't lady it? lady doth protest too much. <laughs> I once got a nosebleed on a school geography trip uh, just for no reason at all. We were just sat in a room having like a, a little lecture from somebody and then my nose started bleeding and then none of the teachers wanted to take me to the, uh, the toilet to like to chaperone me or whatever um so i just uh, they just sort of said well can you just sit there and deal with it on your own so i just sat (laughs) for an hour through this lecture with my nose dripping blood all over my shoes and stuff (laughs) and i came out of it and they were like what was that lecture like did someone get like corporally punished in the middle of it amazing i still remember it was like my second or third lecture ever at university in like year one term one a girl flat out fainted like 10, 15 God. minutes into the lecture and no one knew what to do. Like the lecturer just stood there <laughs> awkwardly and I was like right at the back of the lecture hall and she was in like the second row. So I, you know, presumed that the people that were sat next to this fainting yeah. woman would start to help her, but no one did. So eventually I just stood up and was like, does anyone know first aid? And everyone in this like <laughs> packed lecture hall of like 300 history students was like, no. <laughs> so then I was like, oh my God, am I going to have to do fucking first aid myself? Yeah, that was that was a bit wild. She was yeah. she was fine in the end. It was all good. <laughs> well, uh, we should let the listeners know that this is still a podcast about Star Trek, uh, despite what we've <laughs> talked about so far. Um, and this week we're looking at, uh, this is the, the third episode we've done uh, on Star Trek Picard, and we're Yay. looking at... Star Trek Picard episode seven from series one Nepenthe. Uh, it's the it's the episode where Riker and Troy come back into it. It's all very exciting. I'm sure we're going to have loads of things to say. Um, but before we get too far into it, Nathan, would you like to describe the plot in your patented way? Very excited for this. Okay, so we begin with a recap of what happened in the last episode. And as we're watching these out of order, um, this alien points that Picard and Soldier escaped to Borg Cube thanks to the help of you and the assistance of Elnor um, through a long-range transport of some kind. The Romulans are trying to track Soji down, who now knows she is an android. Anyway, uh, at the start of the episode proper, uh, we see Commodore O and Dr. Girati having a conversation about Admiral Picard's visits with her. Ooh. Commodore O shows Girati what will happen if the synthetic life is allowed to exist. It is apparently a successful and persuasive vision. Girati agrees to help O. In the present day, Raffi cannot escape the tractor beam from the um, ball cube, and on that cell, that same ball cube, the Romulans are rather grumpy, um, shooting XBs to persuade uh, Hugh to cooperate. He refuses to give them the answer, and a certain Mr. Sexy Angst 
<laughs> jumps into uh, a ship to start his own pursuit. Nerissa continues to interrogate Hugh, but uh, she's not allowed to kill him because that would be a treaty violation. Uh, the Romulans let La Serena go, and Rios decides, well, it might be a trap, but they've still got to catch him. Uh, Elnor decides uh, he needs to help Hugh, so tells the ship to go without him. After the opening sequence, Picard meets Kestra, a girl who threatens him with a bow and arrow. Kestra tells uh, Soji that she is pacifist, so uh, won't shoot her, and Picard advises not to shoot him in his solid uranium heart, but his <laughs> head is a much better target. <laughs> Um, Picard tells uh, Kestra that Soji is Data's daughter, which um, immediately panics Soji. She doesn't quite come to terms with the uh, whole android thing yet. Uh, Picard tells Soji about her sister and her murder, uh, uh, and her murder. Soji doesn't really uh, like all of this and uh, storms off ahead. The group arrives at the home of some old friends. Deanna Troy runs up towards Picard and the two embrace. She immediately knows Picard is in trouble. The scene is rather emotional, so we're glad to see here, but clearly there is some shared pain. Uh, Troy welcomes Soji, and Picard says it's a long story. Inside the kitchen, um, Riker tells his daughter to stop yelling at him. Wait. It was the arrival of Jean-Luc Picard? Will immediately activates his shield, brings on anti-cloaking stands, and takes other security uh, precautions. Um, and Troy arrives and explains that yeah, Soji looks human, but there's nothing there. She probably isn't. Try and Riker offer their aid, and Picard goes to lie down for a bit. Uh, <laughs> Soji uh, showers, and uh, Kestra asks a series of questions based on what she has heard about Data. Soji and Kestra talk with the child, explaining Data's life goals. Soji admits that uh, she has been clinging to the idea she was human until, you know, she said the word android. Picard and Troy speak about the invented language of Kestra and the departed um, son Thaddeus, which uh, Troy and Riker have lost. Deanna is worried for a child. She says she isn't as brave as she used to be. Picard retorts that, well, she's getting wiser then. On board La Serena, Rios begins the process of trying to lose this scout ship. He cuts engines and hopes that Narek will overshoot him. Uh, Girati asks if they do want to go to near Penthe. Rafi points out that uh, Durati seems to have lost some of her enthusiasm of late. Rafi decides that a, a trip to get some cake will uh, help take care <laughs> of her. Uh, Riker begins to serve the pizza, and uh, Riker and Picard discuss the situation. Uh, why exactly Picard isn't ready to get the old school back together just yet. Soji and Kestra arrive, uh, speaking Vivine. Riker claims he was uh, drinking uh, when describing Picard as the greatest starship captain ever. Um, and Riker decides to theorise out loud. It's probably Talsiar, based on the fact that it's anti-cloaking shields, meaning Romulans, and the general anxiety for everyone's safety. Uh, they, if they wanted to get Picard, why would they hunt him like this? No, it's Soji they want. And uh, that helped it till she just did, speaks of data. Picard admits everything. Riker is absolutely right. Riker calls Picard out for his approach a little. It works on a starship bridge, but you're dealing with the android equivalent of a teenager. He's not sure you can handle it, Captain. Uh, in the garden, Soji tries to eat a real-life tomato rather than a replicated one. Troy speaks a different language. Soji and uh, Troy discuss Thad. Thad was fascinated by the idea of homeworlds. The idea that someone could have one, after all, he was brought up on the series of starships. He invented a fantasy world to be his own homeworld. Troy explains that the outlawing of the synth ban removed the opportunity to cure her son. 
Troy and Soji discuss her nature. Sure, and Troy gives her some comfort. Soji opens up about how Narek used her. She's worried about mind games. She has no reason to trust anyone. Soji admits that Troy being caring makes it work. Picard enters the conversation with some sarcastic remarks about Soji's fear. The powerful android pushes Picard out of her way. Uh, Troy calls Picard out. I mean, it's not something that a counsellor is supposed to say, but Picard does have this coming. Torture, manipulation, gaslighting, that would all be more of the same experience. Troy says what Jean-Luc needs to be is be the Picard she knows. Compassionate, patient, and curious. Together, they will find a way forward. Elnor and Hugh are heading to the Queen's cell, meanwhile. Uh, Hugh wants the cube to be taken away forever. Nerissa follows them, though. That sounds like open insurrection, a treaty violation. Something she is totally justified for killing them for. <laughs> Elnor asks them... Uh, begs his Romulan friends to choose life. Nerissa opens fire. Elnor takes out pretty much all of her guards. Whoop, whoop. Uh, the two begin to square up for fisticuff times, but this is mostly de- deception, so Nerissa, Nerissa can murder Hugh. Um... Elnor takes the opportunity to throw a blade back at her before she can shoot him in the back. Nerissa transports out before it connects. Hugh dies in Elnor's arms, uh, commissioning him with a new lost cause to fight for. Back on La Serena, Raffi and Jurati eat some cake. Jurati begins to cry, Raffi doesn't get the uh, problem, and Jurati throws up some red velvet. Meanwhile, Riker is uh, serving a much better and more successful dinner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Picard and Riker discuss plans. Where they are going to go and how. Soji knows where her homeworld is, so they will be going there. Picard asks Soji to trust him, and Soji knows that Picard doesn't believe he's lying. Picard says that he wants to get her home for the present company's dear friend, and because he has a purpose to help her with. Riker and Troy believe Bruce Maddock resumed his work on Soji's homeworld. Soji wants to go there, so they will. But they have to identify and locate the planet, and they'll need a ship, and the Romulans have a setar, and... There's, oh, uh, turns out Kestra worked it out. She texted the Star Trek cap, the, uh, captain that her dad just dismissed and uh, identified the planet. Rios and Gerati are discussing the situation in the medbay. Rios thinks that Raffi might be uh, have a tracker in her, dun, 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 either dun. unaware or maybe she's betraying them. Gerati knows it's her, of course, and breaks down crying at her own betrayal. Uh, once uh, Rios leaves, she creates a toxin, injects herself with it, and starts throbbing at the mouth as the EMH comes line. But it did its job, with Narek losing his ability to track them. Elna sneaks through the ball cube, the alarms bearing left and right, and the last we'll see of him in this episode is him with a renewed purpose looking at a certain token. Picard has contacted La Serena and Riker and, uh, and him discuss the crew he now has. Riker is still on active reserve, but it would take something big to get him back out there again. The two old men spend a little time together, and Riker knows better than to try talking Picard out of this. Kestra admits she's going to miss Soji. Before they part, Kestra gives Soji her compass, and it's on to Soji's homeworld. Thank you, Nathan. I love this episode. It's, it's so good. very good. <laughs> it's so good. There's so much in it. There's, it's a really good mix of action, uh, plot, acting writing um special effects as well to an extent like there's just loads in it to really enjoy and like obviously it takes part uh, it takes place uh, in a, a long continuity of one series uh, which is something we've discussed before about uh, the issue with doing new trek on this podcast but i think 
as a standalone episode, even if you hadn't been following the show, you could still get something out of this episode just just as a standalone. If you're a TNG fan, then definitely. Uh, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah, because there's the you know there's enough Michael in it. And Troy just back, so. yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. And they finally, after all these years, know how to write a good fucking Troy episode. He <laughs> finally gets to do some therapy. I know. I literally wrote in my notebook, Troy finally being good at her job for the first yeah. <laughs> time in her entire career. Yeah, it's like she only learned how to do a good job after she she retired. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's it's like when you've got like it's like when a footballer is really bad but has somehow just managed to like isn't so bad that they've been like uh sacked constantly, but like they they never sort of reach a high enough level to be like the Alan Shearer of the team or whatever. But then, then they leave the club when they retire and become suddenly like the world's greatest knowledge on football and like <laughs> on the, the telly constantly talking about look what's happened here is a man who knows nothing about football has tried to make a sports reference uh, in, like, oh, in, re- in relation to a star uh, trek football, episode uh, alan shearer alan shearer i think this is the first time that the word that, that any football content ever has also taken place on an episode of a podcast about star trek <laughs> i think Why the venn possibly? diagrams of people who are going to appreciate certainly, both certainly references. British <laughs> yeah, um. Um, but uh, yeah. I, I mean, where do you want to start with this? I I would like. I, I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to talk about how beautifully, because this just again speaks to the brilliance of Picard, and this is only something I really appreciate on a second watch. Every episode of Picard is able to move the plot forward while also reinforcing the overall themes of the show of loss and moving on and that kind of thing and change and I really appreciate that Will and Deanna don't have a perfect happy ending um, because of how they portray it here like they have a really good life but they their adventures didn't end when they retired from Starfleet like you know the the, because you know life is not a um beginning, middle, and end. It's a continuity. Um, and I don't know, I, I really noticed in this episode how... Because even when Riker appears at the end again, uh, in his capacity of commanding the Armada, mm-hmm. the story here with Spoilers, Kestra <laughs> and... Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> you should just skip the Picard episodes if you don't want us to. Yeah, exactly. Them. Look... If you're listening to this, we're just going to take it as read that you know everything that happens in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nathan, continue. Uh, yeah, well, this Kestra and Thaddeus and all of that won't come up again. Yeah. But it's not in the way or bloating out the series or this episode because it plays well with their themes and they do it and deal with it in a delicate way. And I think you get a lot out of knowing it's Riker and Troy and these are the people Picard served with. Mm. But I think you could also have this episode if you imagine Picard as a completely standalone show. Like, yes. if you imagine that, like, you know, this yeah. is a story about an old admiral coming out of retirement, it doesn't take much to introduce the, you know, what they say in this episode where they're like, oh, we served with him. It's like, oh, I get this relationship. Yeah, I get exactly. the it's thing. Like... And they both, and, and, and I thought it was a really nice touch, actually, that whenever a TNG element comes back, and this is something I've only noticed watching it through for this show, because obviously it's a massive TNG nerd, 
every time an element from TNG comes in, they take an opportunity at some point to explain who a person was. Yeah. Um, still, I think, you know, there is way more you get out of it as a TNG person, but the basic information is there. Like, Troy goes, as a ship's counsellor, this is not something you say. And I think if you didn't know that, it's like, oh, that was her job. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know... And then the Riker and Picard's dialogue, they slip in their relationship as well. Like, there is a lot of that kind of stuff, which I, yeah. I think is really good. And, <laughs> it's, and Well, it's yeah. like we discussed when we looked at the last few episodes of Picard that we did, where um, in the, I think it's episode one, where uh, this character is brought in, I think he's a doctor or something, yeah. um, and he's set up as being one of Picard's oldest friends and comrades, but it's not someone who ever appeared in TNG. It's not, it, they're, they're a new character for the series Picard, but they they do a really good job of introducing that person and setting up the, the backstory and making it believable that they've known each other for years and years and years. And they do the exact same thing with Troy and Riker, even though they are known to people who've watched Star Trek before, but they they approach them as characters in Picard in the same way they approached a character from Picard's past who has never actually appeared in the show before, which I think is key to it because that, that they're not because I think the the worry when this came out amongst Star Trek fans, I think, was oh, are they just bringing in? old characters from the original TNG show to... Yeah, to is it just, just... going to be TNG High School Reunion? Yeah, yeah that, exactly. That's yeah, why the reason that I... The primary reason I didn't watch Picard until yeah. literally, like, the end of last year was because of that exact fact. I was like, well, I've never watched any TNG. I'm not that bothered about TNG. So I was like, well, am I actually going to get anything out of Picard? But in reality, they do this... And I think we have Patrick Stewart to thank for this, as he's made clear, like, they do this fantastic balancing act between making each episode a standalone, like, little story in its own, which also weaves into the, like, grander narrative. It's like the perfect balance between, like, serialized storytelling, but also, like, old-fashioned Star Trek, like, standalone episodes. But then they also... When they use the old characters, it's always with a reason, like you're saying, it's always with a purpose. And I think P. Stew said that when they asked him if he wanted to do this show, he said, I will only come back as Picard again if this show has a has a strong plot with a meaning and a purpose and it's li- mm-hmm. and it's not just like an excuse for us to make money because we're all getting back together. Like he specifically set that out in his yeah. opening discussion. Because with I would, Paramount. I, I would say that is my main criticism of both Discovery and um, Abrams' birth is in particular, those two shows seem unable to leave Spock alone. Mm. Yes. In in a way that that increasingly aggravates me. Now, I still haven't... Uh, I'm, I'm going to still say, like, I've been really busy. I haven't watched a lot of Discovery Season 3, which seems to have very good reviews. And very good reviews from a lot of people I respect. Um, but... And from me. The, yeah, I, I, I was taking that as red, And Jake. from me um, so far, of course. Pe- yeah, pe- people but, that Nathan respects and Jake Donaldson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the card does so much better, that stuff. And maybe because I'm more of a fan of the stuff that it's potentially, you know, using too much. No, I think you're right, um, Nathan, because I'm obsessed with Spock. Like he, yeah. <laughs> like I'm, in, I'm like literally, I'm, I'm completely and fully obsessed with Spock, and even I 
I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, for God's sake, like when they just yeah. keep bringing him up again well, and again in Discovery, well, I'm mean, like, he, in, like Ethan Peck, don't get me wrong, was bloody fantastic. And him and Pike in series two was, you know, some of the, mm-hmm. the like, they, they were just absolutely great. They were excellent. But I'm like, right, we've done that. Put it in the box and move on. We don't have well, to make. Unfortunately, yes. they won't that is not what they're doing by. because like, we are getting a spin-off <sighs> show. We're getting a spin-off show with starring Anson Mount and Ethan Peck. Yeah, okay, and... no, but that's great. Like, that's fine. I'm I'm fully all for that. Not only because it, Anson Mount is fucking incredible and like he fully great, deserves yeah. his own show. Like Captain Pike, marry me. Um, <laughs> also, like, yeah, be my starship captain for life. Um, <laughs> that that's great. But I mean, in Discovery, I'm like, this is the show about Michael Burnham and Discovery and these characters. We don't need. Yes, it was interesting to have that setup with Michael being Spock's sister, but we don't need to keep bringing Spock up as like some kind of thematic undertone in every other episode. Like, oh, Spock, yeah. that is stupid. So yeah, Picard does a much better job here. I agree. When like Riker and Troy come in, they serve this purpose as being this kind of like emotional catharsis and healing narrative for soji and picard to try and bring yeah. them together and then they peace out and they wave goodbye and they've served their purpose they're not yeah, just there it, as wallpaper dressing yeah exactly it's the opposite of when Riker and troy turn up at the end of season one of lower decks which is what? basically <laughs> they, they, at, at, the end, at the end of lower decks they turn up as well and but it does it feels like it's a oh here's uh, Troy and Riker for yeah. just for lol. What, what I'm going to say because I feel like we should move on. Um, but the the way I'm going to summarize it is Marvel has a lot to answer for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because my problem with the Marvel movies is always like I want to watch the superheroes I give a shit about. I do not want to watch the ones I don't. Yeah. And the idea of Avengers of all of them coming together is an okay thing. But they there's a point where like. In the Spider-Man movies, Iron Man shows up, and I fucking hate Iron Man. I don't, <laughs> I don't want, like, I don't like him as a superhero. Like, you know, I just, I just don't like the concept. I don't, I don't. So I'm just like, okay, I've gone to watch the Spider-Man movie. Oh, because I didn't see Avengers or any of the Iron Mans, I've no idea why this fucker is showing up in the <laughs> fucking film. And so then I was just like, well, I'm just not going to watch any of it then because oh, I'm no. not. Cause the, cause the, cause giving in, to, cause you give in to fucking Marvel and Disney when you go, oh well, in order to watch the films I do like, I'm gonna watch all of the shit ones. Yeah. You just, so I was just like, I'm not giving you any of my money. And Nathan's and, opinions and, do not reflect those of the Red Shirts podcast. Nathan, and... you're fully right. I agree with everything you said, but I am Marvel trash and I will religiously watch all of them. But yeah, it's yeah, overload. It's exhausting. Too. It's like, you don't need 17 different spin-off universes where it, like, just stop. Like, it's too much it's just yeah. too much guys like, but that out. is not what Picard does so let's talk about what Picard does um, well can I say yes. that I actually I know that I feel like this episode was everyone's favourite that I spoke to especially mm-hmm. if you like like TNG and I don't know if it's because I've not really seen that much TNG but even though I still think this is a very strong episode I actually only gave it like a 7 out of 10 Whereas the episode before and after six and eight were both like nine out of ten episodes for me, and I is that just because this one didn't have enough Elnor in it for you? <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. That's probably why. Yeah, thank you. Because because Maddie's an obsessive about space Legolas. Space Legolas is so I cute. Would... <laughs> yeah, 
I'm trying to think. Um, I really like the episode where Elnor's introduced, actually. Yes, um, agreed. I like yeah. it as a. I think that's one of my candidates for strongest episode. Um, yeah. But I, I wouldn't say this is the best, but I. I, I mean, I like. Um, My favorite. But this episode, this episode has a like really personal resonance for me in a lot of ways, um, and that's why I hold it high because because the story of Riker and Troy and their losing their child is very similar to what my grandmother had happened to her where she had three children, but one of them, the youngest, my Uncle Neil, was born with a hole, a heart defect, a hole in his heart. Oh, God. He was very ill and only survived to 13. Um, and in some ways even worse than that, five or ten years later, a child born with that condition would have lived because they could do heart-lung transplants mm. that would have would have resolved his issues. I mean, it's always hard with a child and things. So, like, whenever I see this episode, I am thinking about that. Um, and and it's not something I ever, like... I didn't know this person. Obviously, he died well before I was born. But it's a, it's a thing that I know affects all of the people immediately above me in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't see represented in fiction that often. I don't see, you know... Because, like, you know, and, and there's a lot of, they, they talk now in quite a, like, all of my family have a happy life. And the thing that I really feel this episode does well in contrast to a lot of other fiction is when someone dies, when a tragedy like that happens, people, the common thing in fiction is for the people to go completely off the rails. You know, they do this big seeking revenge mm. thing or something like that. And I've seen that story so many times, I, and I like that Riker and Troy come to peace with it. Yeah. I like, uh, because, you know, that's what most normal people do. Yeah. My, my, like, you know, even though they lost him and the, his illness caused a great deal of problems, when my mum talks about his, her childhood, she says, well, you know, the thing was, whoever got, if, if her and her sister fought, whoever got Neil on, on side won. <laughs> because no one would fight Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so. But I'd, I do like the point that you're making, though, the fact that they come to, that Riker and Troy sort of don't go off on this big kind of uh, vengeful Count of Monte Cristo-esque yeah, kind of cause, quest. Cause which you know, all... their, their son died of a disease. He died of a disease that would have been curable were it not for the actions of the government yes. that they, yes. they live under. Yeah. Like it would like, you know, it's the fact that right like I, I think it shows a lot about the character of Will and Troy that obviously they're retired and they'd rather live a life away from it, but Will remains in Starfleet and does come back at the end. Yeah. When a more bitter man might say, ah, fuck you. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, you, you passed the law that meant that I couldn't cure my son of his illness. Yeah, so. exactly. You, you could, they could have taken that character down the sort of um, uh, Magneto at the start of uh, uh, of Days of Future Past sort of uh, 
idea where he, you know, he's secluded himself and he hates everyone, and you know, and then he goes on a massive rampage and turns evil or whatever because of mm. because of what has happened to his children or, or or what have you. But they don't. They I don't think they are at peace with it, but I think they are that they've made a specific no, but choice. Coming to terms with it, yeah. And, they, and so, so this is this is a point I really wanted to make. Um, is that um. I think that's really an of that. I think that's a really specific decision that the writers made to to show them in in this position where they everything they do is still and everything they think and every day is still sort of uh, it's still impacted by what happened to their son Thad. But they are trying to move past it and get over it, and that's reflected in the name of this episode, which is also the name of the planet that they moved to, which is Nepenthe, um, mm. which is a word that comes from the Odyssey by Homer. Um, and Nepenthe in the Odyssey is the name of a drug that is taken to... Um, uh, it, it's a drug that makes you forget things so that you can deal with sorrow specifically. So it, it's for people who have lost loved ones and they take this drug and it means that they forget their loved ones so that they can move on and, and they don't have to feel uh, sorrow for, for the passing. And so that's an obvious decision on the writer's part to name the planet Nepenthe because it's like they've moved there in order to tr- to try and move past what happened to them and in order to try and forget yeah. what, what happened. But they, but they're not doing it on you know they're trying to make a uh, they're trying to make a point to move forward and, and keep going and i think troy has that line in this episode where she says that um kestra kestra's heart still aches for for her brother who's dead but it gets a little bit better with every day um and then picard says something along the lines of and that that for, for you troy must be a different kind of ache and like that so that they focus really specifically on this idea of of the fact that they're still affected by this thing but they're not letting it rule their lives which is a really important point i think they have to make about those characters and it's a really star trek thing to do like this sort of idea of moving on and 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 it fits within the themes of Picard specifically which is a lot about giving your relationship with your past yes um, exactly yeah but also that grief is not necessarily a bad thing and that like I, I would say that the it's actually called Nepen like the episode's called Nepenthe, but I would say that the message of the episode is that is is the opposite of Nepenthe. It's like because every day they Troy and Riker have got a beautiful life for themselves. They've got a beautiful, amazing daughter, they have a happy life. Mm. It's tinged with this sorrow that's always gonna be a part of their family, but the point of it is that they have no intention of forgetting that sorrow and that grief. They're going to live with it and they're going to make it part of their lives and it's going to be part of the beauty of their really gorgeous, wonderful family. I think I completely agree. It's not something you see often in sci-fi and fantasy to have grief portrayed in that way, that actually when people die, families move on and you can find joy and happiness again, but that grief is always going to stay yeah. with you. And, and it's not they're not trying to forget that. Actually, his memory is informing everything that they do. Yeah. but they can find happiness and peace with that as yeah. well. Especially in this device that they use where they say that when Thad was alive, he created all these different languages and different yeah. uh, sort of worlds and things because he grew up on a space uh, on a spaceship. He never had a home world or never felt yeah. like he did. Um, so they give him this, they use this as a device for 
Kestra, his sister, to he, she's still playing these games that he invented and pretending that she's in this world with him that he created, and she still speaks this language, uh, Vivine, that uh, that he made up, and like that serves as a one a device to show that how he's still present in their lives, which goes along with what we were just saying the whole Nepenthe thing, um, but also it's like a a, a really nice way of saying like uh he had an effect on on the on those on those people and he's he's still i don't really know what i was going with this but memory, <laughs> do you know yes like, exactly yes yeah no i get it in, in memory yeah yes exactly yeah and and i think that and I, and, use and of that language and stuff talk is really about nice. like um Kestra for a minute. Yeah. For a I few, love a few Kestra. Oh she's my God. a fucking she's great so character. Good. She is by far the best. Okay. Two best things about this episode for me were Agnes's incredible acting of her mental breakdown, but secondly, Kestra. Mm. I think Kestra for me absolutely made this episode. If She's such a compelling little actress. She's um, great. She, she she's... was in The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, was she? And she... I was going to say, yeah. she, I mean, she... actually, her actress, like, the fun thing, like, I looked up her actress. She's been in a lot of horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As quite important roles. Like, she often plays the creepy or possessed child or the child under attack by the evil horror form. Yes. But what I like is that um, the, the average... Age rating of the film she has been in is higher than her age. Oh, <laughs> she she cannot watch the vast majority of films she acted That's in. So I, I always yeah, wonder. Deliver us from evil, Ouija, Origin of Evil. Yes, she was in Ouija. Annabelle yeah. creation. I always wonder Black this, box. right? About about children who are in horror films who have to do these scenes where sort of awful things happen to them, like. Do those? How does that affect those children? Like, do they? They have they have shit tons of. Um, they must have counselling and stuff. But you like... you you for productions you have a well yes there's all of that but they have a designated I don't know if it's like what the term is like guardian warden I mean maybe it may but there is some role like that yeah like an appropriate union adult. mandated yeah. and often a legal requirement yeah which is the adult who is responsible for the child's well-being on set yeah. as a professional. Yeah. Um, it, well, like, so they will, they, they watch all this, you know, they, they basically just tag along with the child yeah. being like, because it's one of the reasons um, child-heavy productions like Harry Potter are really difficult, because yeah. not only do you have to school and, like, obviously labour laws prevent you from yeah. working a child as long as you, you do an adult, you also have to pay for, Teachers. like, a bunch of... Nannies. Of, of, yeah, <laughs> they had to film to Harry them, Potter in slots. Like one half of the children would have like two hours of lessons on a morning while the other half were filming. Then they'd all swap out, and then they'd have the other half getting like two hours of lessons on a like desperately trying to cram in enough like education that they were like, like meeting government targets. Yeah, but when I, I was... think that as well. Like you know, like I always used to think Chloe Grace Moretz in Hit Girl when yes. she was do- like really really violent like graphic adult stuff. I mean, in hindsight, now I think she probably just didn't have any clue what was going on. She was just having a great time and like, yeah, well, really the, innocent. But you know, it's do you know the story brutal. about every sperm is sacred and the children in that? Oh no, no. <laughs> so, so um, the Monty, Monty Python Python's, sketch, yeah, like um, not life of Brian, um, meaning of life. They have every sperm is sacred, and obviously, the joke is there is a father with like a load of children. And they were given the um, 
you know, lyrics to sing, and they sang them. And the Pythons said to all their, like, parents and stuff, please, if, if you can, can you not explain any of this <laughs> until after they finished filming? And the girl that does the, the thing, like, there's an interview with her later where she rewatches it. She goes, I had no idea what I was singing or saying <laughs> or, or, or doing. And my dad would not tell me for any reason. <laughs> Uh, That's really I think we good. could say, like, in contrast to that, Kestra clearly knows exactly what she's doing. Like, yeah, that. Kestra's she's fantastic. Like... like, she has so many good lines, and and Soji comes into this episode hating herself for being an android. Like, her world's been ripped apart. Her abusive, terrible boyfriend just tried to kill her. She every her life is a lie. She's like, oh my god, I'm not even human. I'm disgusting. And then Kestra's like, oh my god, do you like Sherlock Holmes? <gasps> can, can you like? <laughs> bend metal bars with your hands like do you have mucus and she's so excited and like just genuinely loving towards soji for who she is and it's like yeah you just need that childhood joy to make (laughs) you realize that actually hey being an android it's like yeah sure it's a bit of a shock but uh it's actually pretty cool (laughs) the fact that the questions she asks include do you have mucus is (laughs) is one of my favorite things is the, the fact that she goes do you like mucus do you like Sherlock? Do you have mucus? Do you do you like Sherlock Holmes? Can you bend a bar with your own hands? That's like <laughs> it's that's like going on a date with me. Those are the kinds of things I would ask. <laughs> but also, she said, "Len Soji, because Soji's only three years old." She says yeah. that means that I get to be the boss of you. <laughs> I think um, maybe so. Maybe this could be a headcanon. Maybe they've gone to Nepenthe to try and like calm their home dog ways, and they're trying yeah. to have like a normal family life. Because actually, the reason they no longer serve on the Enterprise is because they were dishonorably discharged for like like aggressively fucking for dishonorably discharging. <laughs> Dishonorably discharged. The dishonorably discharged. That is so good. So good, Nathan. On the bridge in broad daylight, middle of Alpha Shift. Dishonorably discharging. (laughs) Are you back yet, Jay? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) This idea of Riker having sex with her being like. Like calling out his like Riker movements as he does them, like Ry- <laughs> Riker Beta Seven, <laughs> fire photon torpedoes. <laughs> well, we know what they have sex like because you see it in Nemesis, and then uh, Troy gets mind raped uh, in oh, a terrible scene. Yes, that's uh, true. Uh, we'll do we'll um, do an episode but... on Nemesis at some point because it's the worst film that's ever been made. But um, yes. Um, I do want to say that Kestra seems like they, they do a nice job of writing her in that she seems like a nice blend of Will and Deanna and their mm. parenting and stuff. Yes. Like she's clearly got the empathy of her mother. Um, you know, because she like Maddie pointed empathy. out, her her, <laughs> her ability to connect with Soji and like and it's all filtered through a child and stuff like, you know, she's being nice, she's being caring, and, like, Soji asks her about it, and she goes, well, if you're only three years old, I'm eight, I get to be the boss. Like, it's, like, quite good. And then, obviously, she has, like, Will's, like, I want to say, like, cowboyishness and yeah. dynamism, like, not just in the sense that she's the wild girl of the woods, which is clearly a game, like, her father enjoys playing with her, a lot more than her mother does. Yeah. But like 
Um, also, like, when she, like, texts the Starfleet captain and has all the communication, like, that's the Riker approach to solving problems. Like, on TNG, he's the one that, like, um, like, makes deals with slightly dodgy people yeah. and, and, and might be, like, you see a couple of scenes in TNG where, like, he meets these criminals or slightly dodgy elements and he goes, well, I could do a full inspection of your ship. I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't find anything, but... <laughs> do this but i'd rather be on my way so if you could tell me this and it just feels like like kestra will use the exact same tactic yeah <laughs> she's gonna grow up and be like a, a proper like like she's gonna she's gonna end up working for like ofsted or something like when she grows up because yeah because she's like a proper like like taken but like ofsted but like taking backdoor bribes from teachers to give them goods <laughs> good uh, ratings and stuff like she's just she's definitely got that kind of like I'm going to inspect your shit but not if you are nice to me like oh, she gets God. that definitely all of from your her takes dad. about Kestra are terrible today Jake <laughs> well can we move on to something that I have a really good take about which is yeah. that I would watch a cooking show hosted by William Riker right <laughs> like the Riker's amount of master this- chef so much of this episode focuses around Riker cooking pizza, <laughs> and like, and it looked, it with sounds bunny great. Corn. He, he bunny corn to, pizza with bunny corn, exactly. Bonne- bunny corn sausage. Bonne- uh, that's been devenomed. Um, and, so cute. But like, it, it, he he is outside cook, making his pizzas, drinking his wine. He's got all of those fancy sh- like pizza ovens in his garden. It's like watching Jamie Oliver's food tube, uh, <laughs> and. Like I would watch that show. I'd wa- or, or like he would have like a, a cooking show where he shows you how to make food, like pizza and stuff, and it's all filmed out in his garden, and he's like ridiculous and over the top about it. Or like a YouTube channel where he just like reviews other people's pizza, and then like he's. I I would watch that show. I'd watch a cooking show about Will Riker teaching you how to cook. Will you Riker could, going head could... to head with Guy Fieri, <laughs> and then it's like a showdown versus. Gordon Ramsay and Mary Berry. Like, yeah, fight, okay. fight, fight, fight! <laughs> yeah, the hairy Rikers. <laughs> Can we talk about how, like, Troy and Riker both absolutely wreck Picard by turns yes. in this episode as well? Like, first, Riker, when he reveals how he's worked out all of what Picard's going on for Picard, He's like, oh yeah, Picard's classic arrogance, you know, think you've got to do everything yourself. I'm not sure you're up to it. And Picard's like, oh, fuck off. And then later <laughs> on, when um, Picard kind of makes a quite cruel sort of joke to Soji, being like, oh yes, of course, this is all just a simulation. Like, we've just lured you here to trap you. Like, Troy fully goes off at him, like completely goes <laughs> off at him, being like, what the hell is wrong with you, Picard? This is a girl who's been traumatized she doesn't even know what's right or wrong you know she as far as she concerned she's got no reason to trust that any of us are even real let alone on her side mm-hmm. like you need to show some empathy and stop being such a fuck bucket <laughs> she's so good <laughs> i know it's great and there's that scene when um when Riker's making the pizzas and he he says to picard like how about I tell you what you're thinking and what's going on? You don't have to say anything. And it's like such a power move of Riker to yeah. be to be able to go like, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to tell me anything. I can prove to you that I know what's going on. And then he proceeds to explain 
almost exactly correctly yeah. what has happened in the last couple of, uh, of of days of Picard's life. And it um, shows how well they know him, that they like they read Picard so well. They like yeah. point out all his foibles and his insecurities and they like read him better than he knows himself. And there's this great I thought it was really funny how um <laughs> when when Riker says like, oh you know, what did I tell you about Newton's fourth law mm, of thermodynamics? Yeah. <laughs> and and um Picard's well, like Yeah, good um sorry, so what is it? It's like it's not oh shit. No good uh, yeah, no, no good, good deed goes no unpunished. Good deed unpunished. Goes unpunished. <laughs> and then yeah, I wrote like, down I in like my notes. It. <laughs> what about so does that mean that Newton's fifth law of thermodynamics is chat shit get hit and then <laughs> later in the episode Picard makes that joke to Soji and she immediately shoves him over and he's like 95 he could have broken yeah. both his hips yeah it's so definitely like, yes. elder abuse it's, yeah, it is Soji elder abuse. is an elder abuser and then Troy just comes down and it's like you had it coming you had it coming <laughs> Yeah, Troy doesn't give a shit anymore. She's just like, <laughs> you were a dick to Wesley Crusher so much on the Enterprise. <laughs> you deserve you this. Deserve, you deserve to have your yeah. bones broken I by mean, the I also, today. I also really like the Riker, uh, the card dialogue where he tells him about, you know, the fourth law and goes on about like, oh, so you want to be asked deep in Romulus the rest yeah, of your yeah. life. <laughs> because it makes it feel like their friendship continued in a believable way. Yes. Like, it doesn't bog down with establishing everything, but it's like, certainly for the TNG nerd, it's like, yes, once Riker left for the Titan, they continued being in contact best they could. And then a little after, and they, they reflect so many times the two of them talk in a really believable way um i mean i've got to say i just i think freight knows star trek uh i don't think he directed this episode because he was in it yeah but he he's he like you look up his directing credits he did a load of picard he's done a load of discovery and they're always some of the better episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. like because you just can key into it in a way that... Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's an excellent spec. director. Also, I appreciate the way that you referred to him as Frakes in the same way that <laughs> when he replied to my message asking him to come on this show, he signed off as Frakes. <laughs> I mean, our like, bacon number to Frakes is now only like a, a mere one. Um, yeah, <laughs> or is it two because yeah. of you? So you know we're on second name terms with him. Actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, as our buddy Frakes would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we start referring to him as friend of the show, Frakes? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Friend of the show, Frakes, um, or or enemy of the show since he refused to appear on it. <laughs> enemy of the show, he didn't Frakes. Refuse. He did not. Re- he didn't that is true. He did not refuse. We love you, Frakes. Please come on the show. Likely to come um, as his want. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, as well as uh, to get back to the episode, we as well as the, the, the although the main part of this episode focuses on uh, them on Nepenthe meeting Troy and Riker again, and and that Soji coming to terms with her yeah. androidiness. There is her the mucus-ness. B plot. There is the B plot uh, about what's going on on the reclaimed Borg cube uh, with Nerissa. Uh, Kicking the shit out of uh, all of the X Borgs. The oh my god! I have a point about this to make. Right, so at the beginning of the episode, Narissa, Romulan incest bitch, is like losing <laughs> her mind because um, because Soji and Picard like transported themselves away. So yeah. she grabs Hugh and she's like, 
you all these she kills the xbs because she's a cow and she's like they died because of you and she's like hundreds of operatives over dozens of years ruined because blah 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 and i'm like this is such a typical attitude from like the british upper classes right they're they're so overly rich and incompetent like Narissa and Narek, they're so shit at their jobs. They could have killed Soji and tortured her for information at any time over the past <laughs> three years. Any time. And they just, what? They just never did because they couldn't be bothered because they're so shit at their job. They're clearly only where they're at because of like wealth and privilege. And I just think that's a really accurate reflection of British society today. So I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to note that. Like Narissa and Narek are both so shit. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad that Narissa died, and I can't wait for Narek to come back in series two so that he can die in a really <laughs> painful way. I mean, w- yeah, unfortunately, this isn't the episode where Narissa dies, but when, when Narissa gets killed by Seven of Nine, it's fucking brilliant. Oh, yeah, feminism. Um, yeah, but the, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but like, the thing that we sort of brushed over briefly in Nathan's description of the plot is that uh, there's a, a, a major plot point in this episode. Well, it's not even a milit- it's a minor plot point in the episode, but if you take his impact across the entire series, the death of Hugh of is 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 quite an important thing, and it's you know, and I think you know, and because obviously Hugh was a character in TNG, and he's got a bit of a you know the 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 big 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 time fans of Star Trek have really taken Hugh to heart as a character across the years and then they kill him in this episode and i think it's a a, i mean i I think it's a a deliberate choice to kill him in a manner where it's sort of oh yeah he's dead and yeah it's sad but it's not like a major dobby dying at the end of the second last harry potter film like moment where like they're like oh shit hugh's dead that's the worst thing that's happened in this episode it's almost as if they're saying yeah this major character has died but the that's insignificant compared to the implications of what is going on in the wider storyline, and that's a point that I think they're trying to make about uh, yeah. a, about the the decisions made in this series and, and about the implications that they have. There's a point where someone says, uh, "I think it's Narissa says you're responsible for, or you will be responsible for trillions of deaths across Death. the universe, or something like that," and like that they really try to put a point on how each side sees what they're doing as uh as, as the just thing to do like which uh, is bonkers right because yeah. Narissa and Narek are like sliming their way slithering their way around in black leather like oh brother of mine <laughs> would you like to have evil incest sex no, 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 no. <laughs> and then they're like you know like fucking David Mitchell is it on wh- whatever that show that was when he's like hang on are we the bad guys you know like come yeah. on Narissa <laughs> You literally just murdered all of these innocent XBs. You've killed Hugh, fan yes. favourite. You can't even pronounce asinine. She pronounces it arsenine. What's <laughs> going on with that? But that do you like, think that you the reason- are the bad guy, Narissa. Do you think the reason that they make her pronounce it arsenine is because it's written by Americans and she's British yeah, and they, they the, well, think that's how British not. people say it? The, act, the actress yeah, well, is American. That's the deal with uh, Hang on, what? Picard, the, 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 the Patrick Stewart had with Picard because they were like, he tried a French accent when he first auditioned, and they were they were going through various things. And he's like, "Well, I don't really want to give this an American accent if you're just if you're because I don't think it's very convincing." Yeah. And they were like, "Okay, well, the rule is because an American 
um, television, you go with American spelling and pronunciation with a British accent, right. which is why he says lieutenant, not lieutenant. And he says, like, and he says, you know. mom and dad and stuff like that in this episode. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'd, yeah, but uh, Narissa Asana Arsenine is not a word, Narissa. Asan Asan Arsen like a like single <laughs> syllable references to, to, to someone's butt. It's not yeah. like what the Asinine so, Arsenine? Uh, Narissa, honestly, you you giving me a migraine. I don't, I don't, she needs to drink sorry. some arsenic. I don't know which sibling is worse. Which sorry. sibling is worse, Narek or Narissa? They're both awful people, and I hate them so much. I think Nar- Narissa. I, I think Narissa is better yeah. because she's a villain that I want to watch, whereas Narek. After a while, I'm just like, oh. just yes, exactly. Once he's done his sleeping with, like, his sleeping with Soji isn't that interesting, and Gross. then, then from this point onwards, with him tracking and stuff, he is not going to do anything interesting or important yes. for the rest of this he, series. He, he's like Boba Fett in the original <gasps> no, Star Trek. How dare you compare Boba Fett no, to no, Narrow? No, no, no. no I like, okay, no, I, I appreciate that. I like Boba Fett as a character, right? Um, and in second series of Mandalorian, oh, he's really good, but. Um, but Boba Fett turns up halfway through uh, uh, Empire. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it turns up halfway through Empire. Doesn't really do anything. All he does is sort of follow them around a bit. Uh, then, and then he dies within the first half an hour of uh, of Return. Well, supposedly dies in the first he hour, half no, an he hour. Doesn't, he doesn't. He lives down there in that thing with uh, Max Rebo for ages. If you yes, know if you've watched Robot Chicken Star Wars. So right, okay. Pip, actually, <laughs> well, um, well, we know he doesn't die because he turns up in the second series of Mandalorian. But anyway, yeah. this is a Star Trek. I've never podcast. got the liking of Boba Fett. I mean, obviously, this is an opinion formed just before season two of Mandalorian. Because, like, now he's cool, right? And he's cool because he does all of this, this shit. And they, they always have, like, the, oh, he's the badass, most badass bounty hunter ever. And I was like, well... He's not he really. He's not. He doesn't do he's much. not that good. <laughs> and, and Narissa, like, I enjoy hating her. Yes. Like, she, she's, she's what I would describe... She's very Lannister. She, yes, she's what I would describe as deliciously arch. Yes, she's like, like oh, I'm so evil. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, she's like a, she right, she's like, I've just don't, I've just got an account on BritBox, right, and I've just rewatched the first series of '90s children's TV series, uh, The Demon Headmaster, and right. Oh, that's such a good. Show. It's genuinely fucking Effing great, right? <laughs> the Demon Headmaster. I've not seen the show, but them books, I read all of them. They're so good. The show, the show is great. I watched the first series of it. Six episodes on BritBox. You should watch it, right? From like 1996. It's got Zoe Ashton in it as a young woman, uh, like as a teenager. But um, the yeah, it's it's really good. But like he's like this over the top arch character, and that's what that's the vibe I get when I watch Narissa. Like it, it's like yeah, watching full she's British like this villain. Yeah, like, she's like this sort of British Shakespearean villain. Falstaffian villain uh, yes. who is also got this kind of uh, Trinity from the Matrix sort of uh, badass Aesthetic. bitch vibe yeah. going on, and and I, I, that's that's good. I like that. It's it's similar to season three of uh, Discovery when you have. Uh, the um the, the the Orion character whose name I can't remember um who's head of the Emerald Chain like it's a similar sort of vibe to that uh, and yeah. and is and is also a line? good arch foil for uh, uh for Seven of Nine's return in this yes. series as well yeah. like they work as See, well. See, I I really like that Narissa. I mean, I guess Commodore O is the ultimate. 
Commodore. Big oh, bad of Picard. Commodore. Oh, those sunglasses yeah. are so shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. She yeah. does look like, like so dumb. Nerissa, you look like a Nerissa fly. Is the ba- Nerissa is the bad guy that drives the plot forward yeah. in Picard, right? Yeah. Like she's the she's the person you care about. Like you know, in the same way that like. Commodoro is the Emperor, Nerissa is the Darth Vader. I was literally right? just about to say that, yeah. That well, is then exactly who's Nara? Yeah. The whiny bitch that just runs after no. both the Jar Jar. Yeah. Annie, Annie! Me's I your humble servant, Annie! But what, Na- Narak, but what Narak is, say... the, is the Boba Fett. He, that, that, that's stop exactly it, what Boba we were saying. No, stop it! Stop it! Boba Fine. Fett okay. is cool. Boba Fett Fine. looks good. Boba Fett would never abuse his girlfriend the way that Narak did. Boba Fett is just all round a badass... Yeah, Bad but both of bitch. them are trying too hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but at least Boba Fett looks good while he's doing it. Uh, anyway, Nerissa, I just want to say that, like, there's been th- an unfortunate trend I've noticed where when there are villains of different genders, the female villain is never allowed to be the leading competent one. Mm. Um, compared, like, because some of this is just me trying to, to claw in a rant because you, <laughs> you've reminded me of Mandalorian and, and Boba Fett and stuff of how shit Captain Phasma is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Phasma's rubbish. <laughs> because Phasma is so rubbish that, like, I wasn't sure if she died or yeah, not. Yeah, like, so any uh, in the two times when she may die, I wasn't, like, sure if she had or not. Like, like she fell down, like, so she falls into that crash compactor and then a planet explodes and she's still back. And then in the next film, she falls into this more, like, down this thing and I'm like, well, she's probably coming back for film three, where she will con- continue to do fuck all. J.J. Abrams <laughs> introduced her, didn't know what to do with her and was like, oh, whoever does the second film can do something with her. Rian Johnson was like, oh, fuck, I don't know what to do with her either. It's just, like, shitty choices all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not even yeah. get me started on everything. But, like, but, but I like... In terms of which of these two are better, I think Nerissa is better because she is the interesting villainous character in Picard. I mean, Commodore O is as well, but for a different, more, she's more overall malevolent yeah, reason. She just she's looks more so funny the... with her little sunglasses. <laughs> she's so Commodore... cute. Commodore O is sort of like the um, the Moriarty of the series. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's sort of there pulling all the strings, and she's like the big villain, but actually isn't that scary a character mm-hmm. or or a dangerous Agreed. character in and of herself. It's what she represents. That's more of the the villainous element of her. Whereas Nerissa is a badass, scary murderess. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but you know. Uh, and, I, and and Narek is this sort of like weak kind of snivelly whiny fuckboy yeah exactly um which i actually quite like as a as a, a thing to do in star trek because historically um we don't have that many fuckboys to be fair not yeah, intentional fuckboys. We have accidental fuckboys, quite a lot of them, but like we don't Tom have any like, deliberately written fuckboys yeah um but yeah the, the i think i yeah i think there's no questioning that Narissa is 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 a a better villain than Narek in this series. Um, Can we talk I... about the 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 other villain of this episode, who I love very very much? Oh, you mean um, uh, Agnes, Doctor Agnes, Agnes Girati? Yeah, Girati. Yeah, yeah. like this is the. I would say the thing with Narissa and beautiful, gorgeous Australian Elna. Excuse me, can you please choose to live, Might? Might, would you mind choosing to live? 
<laughs> You'd be really close. Really close. If you could just choose to live, then I wouldn't have to stab you with my sword. Sorry, right, but I'm gonna have to choose to die. Anyway, so that's the B that's the C plot, but the B plot is that Agnes is having a mental breakdown because she's like regretting the fact that she's got this Romulan tracking device inside of her and that she's actually kind of been compressed oppressed what's the word I'm looking for? Suppressed into working for the press ganged into <laughs> into working for the bad guys. Also like, on Britbox, every episode of Press Gang is on there, so <laughs> <laughs> But Alison Pill's acting is so good. Her yes. acting is so good, you guys. She is phenomenal. Just throughout this whole series, she has like she does the full gamut from like comedic, cute and bubbly to like serious intellectual to then literally having multiple breakdowns and this episode is just like one long protracted mental breakdown for her and she's so good like yeah, and, you really and, you know, buy how she, conflicted she is yeah and you know and she has this sort of is it a suicide attempt is it not a suicide attempt yeah, m- yeah. moment where she aspos herself and uh and and you know she's and, and then the and also her acting in that segment as well where she starts to have where she injects herself and then has these starts to foam at the mouth and has a seizure and goes into a coma and stuff that is it's hard to act that kind of stuff it's horrifying to look at yeah exactly and she does it really well and really convincingly um and uh, yeah i think the and also the relationship she has with rios and uh is really interesting across the series and i think that my criticism of this episode is that they could have played on that a bit more um, in that scene where they, you know, where Rios says to her, oh, I think Rafi's the one who's got the tracking thing in it. And, uh, and Agnes is like, oh, like she, she knows oh, it's, it's not her. her. It's she, not Rafi. It's not Rafi. Yeah, but like, she doesn't well, say anything. Yeah. Because he says it like, oh, is it going to be you like? And then she says nothing. Yeah. And like, I've, that was a lovely moment, but I think they could have, had more of that and played more on that sort of dynamic throughout that episode to make that scene a bit more powerful. Um, yes, but I suppose I they thought... do. Go on. Sorry. Uh, what I was going to say, what I thought was going to happen when I watched this episode for the first time is that Rafi and Rios, and I find it a bit strange that despite both being very intelligent people, that they don't suspect Agnes because yes. she starts acting so strange and so out of character, like at the beginning when she has this rad, like, let someone else find the fucking synth. And then Rios is like, hmm, you wanted to come along for this trip and now what's up with you? I, I thought that Rios and Rafi were going to good cop, bad cop Agnes. Yes. Into, into because you know Rafi's like oh Agnes I'm just gonna give you some cake let's like get you all relaxed like tell me what's on your mind and then but they don't which I do find disappointing but mm. then my with my rewatch my question is because I think this is actually a much more realistic interpretation of the scene and I want it to be true is that when Rios sits down with Agnes and is like I think Rafi's a spy and Agnes basically starts to like break down again in front of him because she's under so much emotional pressure and mm-hmm. do you think that he was bluffing and that he was trying that... to get her to admit yeah because maybe. i was like there is no way in hell that rios thinks that raffi is actually a spy like that just seems so bizarre and and i didn't buy that at all but i think that he was saying that on purpose because of the three of them agnes is clearly the most emotionally vulnerable and yeah. she would be much easier to like press into a corner and get to snap than Raffi would. Like a threat like that wouldn't work on Raffi. She's too savvy. Yeah. I think I think that would be a that I think that's a really good reading of it and I I'd prefer it if that 
is what was intended. I think if it is what in- was intended, they could have uh, made it more obvious. Yeah, they could yeah, have signposted which is it. Why a bit more. I don't think it is what's intended. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I, I think that's genuine suspicion. Yeah. Um, which is stupid because I just do not buy the romance weird thing that kind of happens between Rios and Agnes. No, all. I don't either. Like, I don't think they have any chemistry. <laughs> um, uh, we, we, we still need to ask the, uh, the the important question that we ask every week, which is uh, which character in this episode is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock? Uh, Maddie, you look like you've got an important answer for this. I've got a really, really important answer. It's a left field answer that I'm very, very proud of. Okay. Go on then. Captain Crandall. <laughs> oh, yeah. Captain Definitely. Crandall. We never see him on screen. We don't know who he is. All we know is that he's a mysterious old man who used to be a Starship captain, but he's even <laughs> older than Picard, and he lives by a lake, and he gives out weird advice to 13-year-old girls who live in the forest. It's definitely Captain Crandall. You're right, it is. It's definitely Crandall. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% happy to put Crandall on the list of... Uh, of self abusers. Um self <laughs> abuse <laughs> what? I mean he's been dishonorably discharging quite a lot. Hey, that's why him and Riker and Troy all live on the same planet. Yeah. That's where dishonorably discharged Starfleet yeah, it's, personnel it's go actually... when they've been dishonorably discharged for dishonorably discharging. Yeah, it, it's actually like a, a penal colony in a penthe. <laughs> that's, that's... Yeah, and they're meeting like, oh I'm Riker, yeah, I'm Captain Crandall. Uh, what was yours? Oh, shagging my trombone in the captain's <laughs> What was yours? Oh, yeah, sucking my own cock in the holodeck. Yeah, it's a, it's a penal penis colony. colony. <laughs> um, look, I think that's everything we've got time for this week. I really enjoyed doing this episode. It's great. Um, we'll do some more Picard soon, I'm sure. And... Uh, uh, and some more of uh, of New Trek as well um, in uh, both uh, Discovery and Lower Decks, I'm sure. But next week, we've been looking forward to this and teasing it for a few weeks now. We are eventually going to look at the film from the Abramsverse that I think is the best one of the three, Star Trek Into Darkness, which I'm sure I'm going to get ripped a new arsehole for. But uh... oh, I think it's going to be open civil war next week. <laughs> Because you're going to say it's the best, but it's going to be like, it's not the best, but, you know. Here's why I love it more than my own life. But, but yeah, she's going to be like, I love it, uh, but it's not the best. And I also also really dislike the sexism in it. And I'm just going to be like, I'm not the best. That's what I predict. I, I think... I think bring bring your bring your biggest knives to the I next bring, so uh, I'll bring my YouTube. biggest bat is... left that I can find. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be armed with, like, one million words of Spock Kirk fan fiction for this. Like you have no idea. This is like this is the most slashy film in the Star Trek verse to ever slash. I'm, it's amazing. I'm very excited. So next week we'll be looking at that. Oh, I don't know if we're doing a two part special or not, but we'll definitely be looking at. We'll see how much we'll see yeah. how much we want to talk. Oh, about. I could talk about this forever. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the problem. You can talk about it forever. I don't want to talk about <laughs> it at all. I can get away but, uh, with it. If, if in advance of that, listeners, you want to get in touch with us and talk to us about uh, you, what you think of Star Trek Into Darkness, you, you can do. Uh, however, this will go out two weeks later. Darkness? I did say Into Darkness. I was hoping no one would notice. Um, <laughs> but listeners, if you want to get... Stonk Trek Into Darkness. Into Darkness. <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, <laughs> 
look, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us as always on Instagram or Twitter at redshirtscast, uh, or you can email us redshirtscast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can. Yeah, I would also say that if you like my terrible impression of Elner, there is lots of that on our Instagram stories from when I was on the Picard highlight because yeah. I did that for a very long the, time. In, the Insta stories <laughs> are great from Maddie, so join in, uh, jo- follow us on Instagram if you want to see more of Maddie's ridiculous uh, uh, over the top spurking um then uh, you can you can join the instagram for that um all that's left to say though is uh, live long and prosper and goodbye goodbye bye bye and remember not to dishonor <laughs> <as well. laughs>